Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Christchurch Fox Chapel Sermon Podcast. This is Ben Hughes, uh, recording from our studio up on the third floor of the church. Yesterday, I had the unique opportunity to preach at our annual meeting, uh, but we held it outside of our normal uh, sanctuary, and so we didn't have the recording equipment set up. And so I'm going to be preaching uh, to you all uh, on the internet what I preached yesterday. Uh, It'll be a little bit different because I don't have any kind of uh, congregation to be preaching to, but at least we'll get some of the content uh, of what was said in the moment there. Uh, Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you you have a Bible with you, you might want to open it up to follow along uh, because we'll be referencing it quite a bit. As I studied and prayed through 1 Corinthians 3, uh, I was reminded of this poignant moment during my graduation from seminary, and it happened right as I was preparing to go up and accept the coveted preaching award. I was like sort of shifting in my seat a little bit. Um, we were sitting in these pews. It was in a church uh, in a church out in Sewickley, and I was sitting uh, and shifting in my pew, and sort of I put a hand behind me, and then the other one uh, on the pew in front of me and got ready to go up and accept this preaching award because um, they were definitely going to call my name, right? I mean, they had to, they had to do that. Um, our seminary had several different smaller awards in my estimation, but the big kahuna was the preaching award. That was the junction of spiritual and intellectual excellence. If you really wanted to know who's got game among the preachers at the seminary, it's all about the preaching award. That's where spiritual excellence and intellectual excellence meet. And obviously, that was me. So I'm shifting my pew. I'm getting ready to go up as they open the envelope and they read the name. Uh, The preaching award goes to Jenna Hughes, my lovely wife. This was the most uh, delicious slice of humble pie that I've ever eaten. I got to see the person that I'm crazy about get recognized for being quite exceptional And at the same time, God showed me my own spiritual and intellectual pride. Pride is a big issue for a bunch of us. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. And I found this to be true in my own life. Most sins like lust or murder or stealing or lying are at least discouraged in polite culture. Uh, But pride is often applauded. Even if we hate seeing it in others, We encourage it in ourselves. And if you don't believe me, try this. Uh, Next time you have a job interview, uh, when they ask you about your greatest weakness, you know, that standard question, uh, tell them that you have a problem with anger. Or tell them that you're lazy. Uh, That's not going to go over so well, is it? But if you want a really better response, uh, say what everyone always says, right? Uh, Sometimes I get too invested in my work. It's pride but yet we applaud it. And it's hard to see, but when I dig down deep and I follow my problems back to their roots, more often than not, I see a big rotting mass of pride there that's just poisoning everything. And that's certainly the case in Corinth. Reading 1 Corinthians can feel kind of like drinking out of a fire hose sometimes. Uh, it's information overload. Uh, Paul Reading Paul's letters is often like this too. Corinth is this chaotic pagan city, and there's this church there that's divided between several different factions. 
Some people are following Apollos. Some people are following Paul. Some people are following Cephas. Some people are like, oh, I follow Christ. But there's this obsession with having the most dynamic leader and speaker. There's an obsession with wisdom and rhetoric, and nobody seems to trust authorities. And later we hear that there's sexual immorality and idolatry and even classism going on. When they meet to have the Lord's Supper, the rich uh, feast themselves while the poor go last, and they don't get anything to eat. So it's a complicated mess, but when you dig under the surface, you see that in the Corinthian church, there's an undercurrent, and I think this is what's feeding it all, there's an undercurrent of spiritual and intellectual pride that's poisoning the community. And so Paul addresses both of these problems head on. And this, uh, this afternoon or wherever you are uh, listening to this, whatever time it is, uh, I want to walk through 1 Corinthians 3, and I want to talk about spiritual pride and intellectual pride, and then I want to talk about the antidote, uh, because the gospel presents us with the antidote to pride. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Paul addresses spiritual pride. He says, But brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now that word spiritual, root word there is pneuma, uh, it's it's an important word here. Uh, In the first three chapters of this letter, we hear Paul use it 14 times in various forms. Apparently, spirituality was a hot issue in Corinth. And we can learn a lot by reading between the lines of this. This is how it often works uh, with Paul's epistles or letters. Um, Think of it like this. You're sitting in a coffee shop, and the man next to you is talking on his cell phone. He's really oblivious to how rude this is, and everyone's listening to him. Everyone can hear him. And you're trying to read or do your work or whatever, but his voice is droning on into his cell phone, and he's saying, Disciplined? You're disciplined, are you? Are you disciplined when I come home and see you playing video games and I haven't, haven't even started your homework? Is that discipline when you sleep in until noon on weekends? And on and on and on he drones. Well, we didn't actually hear the person on the other end of the line, but when we read between the lines, uh, we get a pretty good idea of what's going on. Who's this guy talking to? Clearly one of his children. Statistically, probably his son, because more boys play video games than girls. Uh, he's, he's probably not his spouse, because that would be a bit of a problem. Um, and he's talking about schoolwork. And we also get the sense that his child uh, clearly said something about how they were being disciplined. See, we all do this in everyday life. We know how to do this. And the same process works with Paul's letters. We don't have the, the Corinthians' words firsthand, But when we read backward from phrases like, I could not address you as spiritual people, that and the 13 other times that Paul uses that word, we see that in Corinth, they thought that they were spiritually mature. But Paul says, oh, no, no, you're not spiritual. You're fleshly. You're acting in a merely human way. You're acting the way that humans act when they have no reference to God whatsoever. And your quarreling and your jealousy proves it. You think that you're advanced, but you can't even digest solid food. Your pride shows you don't even understand the basics of the gospel. And it wasn't just spiritual pride 
It was intellectual pride, too. The Corinthians thought that they were sophos, which means wise or clever. Paul alludes to this throughout the letter. Chapter 1, verse 17, Christ said, uh, Paul said, Christ did not send me to preach with words of eloquent wisdom. In chapter 1, verse, verse 22, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We get the sense that the Corinthians were all about wisdom because we see variants of this word for wisdom 22 times in the first three chapters. It's all over the place. And in our passage, Paul rebukes the Corinthians for this pride of cleverness or wisdom. He says in chapter 3, verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. What happens when a community of people all grow proud of what they've attained? What happens when everyone thinks they're more clever than the next guy or more spiritually mature than the next guy? I'll tell you what happens. Poison. Despite their great spiritual capacity and cleverness, the church at Corinth was just tearing at the seams. This heavy flow of commerce through the city uh, brought state-of-the-art teachers who were well-known, charismatic, and popular. This was a well-resourced church. Um, and following these, these great teachers made them feel like they had the inside track or that they were somehow in the know about things. And perhaps without re- realizing it, the Corinthians made much of their teachers and the movements surrounding them, but they made little of Christ. And I, I feel compelled to say that this is a danger spot um, for all of us in American culture, but especially for our church right now. Um, it's We just had our annual meeting yesterday, and it was awesome. It was really great. Uh, our church finished the year in 2021, or 2022, pardon me, uh, really well. There's all kinds of new programs that have been started. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, a lot of new people have been coming. The church is growing. It's great. It's it's really it's an exciting thing. Um, but to be honest, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, I've never really experienced a season of growth like this in a church before. Uh, my one of my earliest experiences uh, when I was in middle school, we started going to this big, vibrant church with a with a charismatic preacher and great music. Um, but within a month of my arrival, uh, they fired the senior pastor, the music minister left, and the church split. And then after that, it was like 10 years of like one leader getting fired after another and one church split after another. It was just a, it was a disaster. Uh, in seminary, my wife and I uh, joined a small Anglican church in St. Louis where um, we brought the median age down to somewhere around 70 um, it was a, it was, it was a very. They're still going strong, I think, but um, there were not a whole lot of young people. Uh, then after seminary, I got a job at a church uh, that was in a, a real time of crisis and struggle. And then I took over a church plant, and a year and a half later, I closed its doors. 
then I came here to Christ Church. And I'm just wondering, you know, with this season of growth, like, what's the difference between all those churches and this one? Is are the are we all more clever here? Are we faithful to God in some intangible way that all these other churches missed? Does the Holy Spirit just just like us better? God just decided to bless us and 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 not everyone else. What's the secret sauce that's going on that causes church growth? Uh, and I don't actually know, um, but I do know that the secret sauce is that that's a stupid way uh, to view the church. Uh, when our focus on becomes all about church growth and movement and enthusiasm, then we're missing the point because we don't come to church. Uh, we don't engage in Christian community in order to pat each other on the back or celebrate our successes or feel like um, we're a part of something that's growing. Uh, we're here to worship Jesus Christ, period. So don't get me wrong. I think it's awesome to be a part of a church that's growing, and I, I hope it continues to grow. I, I love uh, I love that people are hearing about the gospel um, and, and that people are coming to Christ and uh, I love that this community is flourishing. I want to see that. That's what I labor for. Um, but we're here to bring glory to Christ, whether it's a season of growth or it's a season of pruning. Some churches are in a season of pruning right now, and that's that doesn't necessarily mean anything. They might not be doing anything wrong. Um, I want us to be in it uh, the way that Cleveland Browns fans are in it. Um they're out in the 10 degree weather supporting this team, even though they haven't had a good season since like ever. Uh, Browns fans aren't in it for the fair weather. They're there because they love the Browns. And Paul says that the teachers and the good feelings and the growth are just beside the point. It's not good teachers that give growth. It's not Paul or Apollos who gives growth. It's God who gives growth. We're all just servants who are called to come and do our job and build our lives upon the unshakable foundation of Christ. So Paul says in verse 11, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here's my question. How do we escape the pride trap? How can we enjoy good things like church growth and awesome annual meetings um, and good teaching without getting lured into spiritual and intellectual pride. How do we actually heed Paul's words in verse 21 when he says, let no one boast in men? Um, what's the antidote to pride? I think it's actually right in front of our noses in 1 Corinthians 3. All we have to do is read the rest of verse 21. He says, no, let no one boast in men, for, Corinthians, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. In the early 1800s, there was a Scottish pastor. His name was Thomas Chalmers, and he wrote this little pamphlet uh, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the thesis, the basic idea, was that you can't just purge yourself of bad 
patterns or idols. Because if you knock one down, you'll just put a new one up in its place. That's the danger of trying by your own resources to become a better person all on your own. Oftentimes you're just swapping dysfunctions. For example, I had a friend once who uh, gave up drinking alcohol and uh, just filled it by smoking marijuana every day. What you need is a new affection that outweighs the old one. Uh, I heard about another person who was addicted to smoking cigarettes. Uh, he just loved the smell of them. He, he loved uh, having uh, the conversations that have over, had over cigarettes. Uh, he just he loved the, the memories from all that. It just had all of this uh, association for him, and he had tried to quit and failed and tried to quit and failed. And then he, then he met the woman who became his wife, and she had one condition upon marrying him for marrying him, uh, and that was that he quit. And you know what? He quit because he fell in love. Um, love has the power to take out pride. Being loved is one of the most humbling experiences in the world. That's what can humble and heal a proud heart. It's the love of a Savior who actually values us even when we're small. Humans, we're often like pufferfish, right? Pufferfish, they're at their biggest when they're most stressed, when they're in danger. They feel the need uh, to inflate themselves. Porcupines are much the same. All the bristles stand out when they feel like they're in danger um, and they need to secure some kind of like safety for themselves. And so all the bristles stand out and they get bigger. But when you're loved, when you're safe, when you're secure, then you can breathe deep and be as small as you actually are. And that's the security that the gospel gives us, um, that we're actually safe and secure. We belong to Christ. So we don't have to be impressive. We don't have to be uh, clever or cool or popular or anything else. We don't have to be good at praying in public. We don't have to know how to say the right spiritual things. Um, we can be small. We're free to be powerless. And we're free to make little of ourselves as we make much of Jesus Christ. And that is real freedom. That's what it means to live in light of the gospel, that the good works, all of the good things follow what Christ does in us first and for us. It's all to his glory. Amen. Thanks, everyone. I hope you have a great week. <laughs>